As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. And so it goes. Luke Shaw in the opening minutes. Luke unsure for the next 118. That was England's story Sunday night at Wembley. Today's totally salutes Mancini's new Euro champs. Says hi-ho silver for Southgate. Asked should he have hooked some England players sooner rather than leaving that to Chiellini. And what are the positives that we can take from a match that, yes, may have broken your heart and shattered dreams you've waited a lifetime for, but still had some nice bits. For the last time this summer, then, it's all aboard for Totally at the Euros in association with Paddy Power. So involved, so excited. Oh, Schmeichel saved it, but Kane is there on the rebound. What incredible drama in the semi-final. It's been a long year for everybody and I'm, I'm chuffed that the performances we've put on have uh, brought so much enjoyment and uh, happiness to people. It's saved by Donnarumma. Penalties prove to be the dagger in English hearts once more. Real heartache for England's young Lions. Ah, indeed, dear listener. Monday, the 12th of July, 2021. How are you doing? We're here very much in the aftermath of the big game at Wembley on Sunday night, the finale of Euro 2020. And who have we got for you? we got, well, 
Daniel Stories here. Also, David Priest. There's Raphael Honigstein joining us from Wembley, Carl Anker. And also, I think shortly we'll be hearing from James Horncastle, who insists that he's going to dial in and talk to us. Well, Italy fans, if you, after a little bit of allegria, how about a quick listen to how Bukayo Saka's fateful penalty was greeted by Italy's commentators. Thank you, Lord, that has given us football. Thank you, Lord, that has given us football. Embrace me. Embrace me. They yell at each other. Hmm. Daniel, I'm so sorry, man. But, you know, the countdowns of the World Cup starts here. Yeah. Yes, it does. Uh, I mean, obviously, I was gutted by the method of, of defeat. Um, but as taking the summer as a whole, which is very hard to do now, I'm massively infused. I think Italy were the best team in the tournament and were the best team on Sunday evening and deserved to win the game, albeit by a horrible method for England fans. But um, it's a sign of progress. Not a, It's not a tournament in isolation, I hope. And as you say, a shorter break now to the next World Cup should help England. There shouldn't be a huge amount of turnover. And, and this is the, or was the youngest squad in 63 years at a major tournament for England. So it should pretty much remain intact for next time, which has to be a good thing. Mm. It's the eighth game at these Euros to go to extra time. I don't know how many of them went to, to penalties. felt like an awful lot. This was the one time, perhaps, in the campaign that Gareth Southgate's subs didn't pay off. But, Carl, I don't know how long we'll have you for. They're in the bowels of Wembley. How was the evening for you Sunday night? Uh, I'm going to try my best not to cry. I'm going to try my best not to swear. Uh Volatile was the operative word for, I'd say, the first 25 minutes at Wembley Stadium. You've got to bear in mind that 8 o'clock kickoff meant uh, England fans a lot of time to take in orange juice and sugar, so to speak. Uh, there was that fan incident, well, fan incidents where a number of fans jumped the barricade by Wembley Way and, and broke into essentially what is the players' family section. Mm. Of the crowd, so I was towards the where Mrs. Grealish was sat. Mrs. Grealish, sixty-nine, God bless right. her, was seated. Basically, uh, the left-hand side where the penalties were eventually taken, I was in direct eye line of that, and the section of the fans just close to that for at least forty-five minutes before kickoff, and in a little bit into into the game, it was what should have been a, a socially distanced area had a number of people standing without tickets. Uh, there was a moment. I'd say Luke Shaw's early goal possibly helped things from getting too volatile. There was uh, a real tension between people that had paid tickets, paid money for tickets, and those that had simply jumped the fence and uh, managed to get there. And I'd say if it wasn't for Shaw's only goal, I think that helped direct a lot of big emotions. From there, it became a chorus, a celebration of English football, and they thought they truly could believe it. No, just wondering, Carl, how the atmosphere was over the whole 130 minutes or so, because it, on television it came across as incredibly quiet and nervous rather than raucous. And I'd supportive. say it was, it was raucous. The first half was absolutely raucous. It was a, now I'm, I'm going to put this in air quotes, it was a English 45 minutes. So English football likes to in, imagine itself as intrepid, handsome, noble, uh, and being at the right place at the right time. So you're, you're part bleeding but you're still handsome and you're covered in dirt and scars, but you're doing your job. You're doing the hard work and you're doing the great daring do. And that was that 45 minutes. That was a, you know, Luke Shaw's goal. And then the defensive work of Carl Walker, Kieran Tripp is shutting down Chiesa, shutting down Insiga, making those blocks from 
uh, Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice. Yes, Italy were getting into that final third at will, but England were playing a very quote-unquote English game and the crowd responded to that. In the second half, when Italy realised they weren't going to get enough joy on that flank and Verratti started to drop deeper and started to orchestrate play, then you could see the crowd quiet as they realised Italy were going to turn, were turning the screw and the goal was going to come. And it went from being, please don't take me home, to please Gareth Southgate, make some substitutions. And once that Italy goal came, you could hear a pin drop. You, you, you could begin to noticeably hear the Italian mm-hmm. crowd. And I'd say the only real spike that appeared, again, was an extra time when the fans started cheering for Jack Grealish and they were finally granted Jack Grealish. Italy, 34 games unbeaten now. European champions for the second time, the sixth major honour. Rafa, as the impartial observer to all of this, the best team won, though. Certainly best team of the competition. I don't think there's any doubt about that. On the night, yes, I think over the 120 minutes, Italy were the better side. They never stopped trying. They figured out a way to push back the wing-backs to make it a five and then completely dominated midfield. And it was strange because the Croatia game kind of played out again, but worse. That England stopped playing much earlier. It couldn't really the Croatia get the ball. game from the last World Cup. Yeah, in 2018. Mm. Couldn't get the ball. Had ended up with 34% of possession in a home game in a final. And kind of played for a result and the problem is I guarantee that on 70 odd minutes or so the first drafts of the match reports were all about heroic defending and England were just having a wonderful game and the Italians just couldn't get through but that's the problem when you play like that if you play results football without the result then it leaves a pretty sour taste and as a neutral I didn't have much of a leg to stand on because I've been making the same point throughout the throughout the tournament and nobody listens when England win. But I think considering what England have in terms of the potential, especially in attacking department and the little football that actually Gareth Southgate managed to get on the pitch throughout this tournament, as much as it will only feel at the start in England, yes, they've now established as a, as a real power in world football and they will have another chance. I think this is going to be seen as a, as a real chance missed and, and effectively thrown away a final and thrown mm. away even a competition. I know it sounds weird when you make the final, but I think with this team, we should have seen a lot more football. Well, it was curious how England were able to score the earliest goal ever achieved in a European Championship uh, final and look so effective against Italy and then effectively not try that again for the rest of the game. Well, It's just one of the many mysteries of, of little details that just didn't didn't come off for England if you don't want to push on if you don't want to push on after the 1-0 yeah you can do that but then you better win the game if you don't then it looks silly if you make negative substitutions you then better go on and win the game afterwards it looks silly these little things just unfortunately added up for England on the night David Priest first of all Gianluigi Donnarumma is the player of the tournament it's nice to see a goalie getting some recognition right yeah I mean (laughs) Big players, especially big goalkeepers, you know, harking back to, to his predecessor, Buffon. They're not flashy, they're there when they're needed and they step up at the real big moments. And, and that was tonight. That was 
penalty shootout. Of course, he's he has got a decent penalty uh, record. It's, a, it's above, I suppose, about thirty three percent or something like that. And you could see that now was his moment. You know, he really he really stepped up the plate. And of course, you can, you can argue about the penalties, what they're you know whether they're weak penalties or not. And but I just think that um, that's what you want a top class keeper to do: just be there when you when he's needed and step up with the plate. The irony is that Jordan Pickford was actually England's best player by quite a distance tonight. Pickford had a fantastic performance, but Pickford had to have a fantastic performance. This was, to, to go back to Rafa's com- comments about how much football England got from this final, this felt quite Deschamps-esque, and Deschamps-esque in Euro 2016. So Southgate, I've, always, I've constantly been on this podcast bringing up uh, Southgate's comments from Euro 2016, and say, from, from March, sorry, um, and how he said he wanted to watch France and watch Portugal and see how they win because he thought that's how you win big games. And both Santos and Deschamps are essentially footballing economists where that first goal is, is vital and then you sort of hunker down and you hope one of your superstars can eke out that extra little bit. And it, it looked like it was working and that 45 minutes was very, very good. But what you saw from about the 55th minute when Verratti held a more reserved space was England needed to either make a change in terms of shape or make a change in terms of personnel. And the difficulty there was there were players that were either a little bit off match fitness or a little bit too early in their development. So I, I, you could sort of say, OK, you can bring on, take off Mason Mount and then bring on Jordan Henderson. But we weren't clear on Jordan Henderson's match fitness. We don't know if he can play 90 minutes or perhaps you could play a Jude Bellingham. This is probably a tournament too early for Jude Bellingham, uh, as it were, possibly. Southgate could have tried Jack Grealish or could have tried a Jadon Sancho, but then you risk losing the ball on transition. For and Italy are particularly good on transition as well, so England do run the risk of this being opportunity lost if certain things happen in future in future tournaments. In if the World Cup doesn't go so well, if the Nations League, not the Nations League final in October, but the Nations League coming doesn't go so well. But there's also plenty to believe that very much like Deschamps in 2016, this this England team has enough football and resources and will learn their lessons and can galvanise. You were talking about the atmosphere and, and the, the tension. We saw also some of the, the scenes of the fighting and the concourses as, as those, I don't know how many, a couple of hundred maybe or, or less fans managed to break through the cordons and get in without tickets. But in general, the, the scenes were kind of extraordinary. I, I don't know if anybody can think of any final that's had that much of a build-up with people getting there so early. The celebrations beginning so early, so much assurance that the destiny was behind England. How was the atmosphere there as the game got underway? And what was it like then when the game ended with this promised land then evaporating? I'll admit there were, there were times, especially I'd say 45 minutes, you know, 45 minutes to an hour before the game started, where it felt not too dissimilar from the protests at Old Trafford. Obviously, those are two very different reasons as to why fans were congregating. But in terms of you're seeing a group of quite... Uh, emotionally heightened and or possibly alcohol-fueled football fans waiting for something. There was a similar feeling about that. I'd say there were more missiles launched into the air at Wembley Stadium for reasons I couldn't quite understand. And I, again, I'd say the stadium DJ at Wembley probably did a great service to everyone what to did, keep things what did he on play? the wraps in terms of... Uh, Slow jams a, mostly. Atomic, atomic Kitten really helped. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, descending baselines are really useful if you want to calm down a bunch of football fans because they go from wanting to punch, punch, punch to singing bomb, bomb, bomb. So that helped. And also Luke Shaw's goal helped as well. Right. They, they, it, it, 
it felt a little bit of a team in the box. And there were times where I was sat in my seat in the press box and looking to the left of these blocks of, I'd say these were the blocks 106 to 110 to where the, you know, the corner flag is. And there were some fans being very aggressive to stewards saying, that person hasn't paid, that person hasn't paid. Do you know how much money I've paid? Get those out. And thank God that goal happened early because people were distracted. A, mm. lot of those, a lot of those people that did break through were eventually ejected at halftime and things calmed down. But uh, we're very lucky that things didn't get worse. Things should have been a lot better and things should have been policed a lot better. But uh, I'd say we're quite fortunate that things didn't end up being a lot worse. All right. Well, um, there's been disappointment on Sunday night, but so many things to be positive about England's performance. Of course, we're going to talk more about Italy. Carl, I know you need to go and do athletic things, which I'm looking forward to, to seeing in Monday's uh, edition. Been a pleasure. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Daniel, you, you sat very patiently through this. Uh, it's going to seem, uh, I guess, churlish to to criticise England, to criticise Gareth Southgate's approach this evening. We have mentioned one or two of the things. The penalty takers, I think, is one thing that caught a lot of people's eyes. The, the fact that it was these these young guys who'd, who'd only just come into the game who were given the responsibility. Is that something that, you, do you think, it would be one of the first things that Southgate would revisit if he had the chance? I, I mean, I don't think there's any huge mistake there. Certainly not with Sancho and Rashford, who, you know, Sancho's scored 10 of his 11 penalties in his career. Rashford scored 15 of 17. Um, I, I suspect and I suppose that there was a surprise that Saka was down as number five. And, and I think there was also a weird feeling, certainly from watching it on TV, that I think everyone kind of assumed that Jorginho would score and that would be that. And then when Pickford somehow got a hand on that, everyone was sort of like, oh, oh we've got a chance here. And um, sometimes that could have taken the pressure off Saka, but clearly piled it all back onto him. Um, yeah, I was surprised he took that penalty, but you know this wasn't a, a decision made at the end of extra time. This would have been made a fair while ago. He he was clearly bringing on Rashford and Sanche. You know they were already on the touchline with about seven or eight minutes to go. That was clearly the plan. And and as I say, they had good records. Of all the things to criticise Southgate for, and I think there were a couple tonight. I don't that wouldn't be at the top of my list because penalties are one of those things. That, you know, if England. If Sancho and Rashford score their penalties, then England have won that before Saka even needs to take one. And nobody is saying, well, that was weird that they only came on then to take penalties. Everyone's going, that's a masterstroke. So mm. I wouldn't criticise that. I, I, I think he was slow to react to Immobile coming off. I think that changed the game. I think Immobile was, was effectively redundant in the first half, but bringing on a more fluid front line, I think spooked England a little bit. It enabled Berardi and, and Signe to drop a little bit deeper into pockets of space, which dragged Maguire and Stones out of position a little bit. And I think he was probably slow to react to that. But I just think England scored too early, exactly the same as Croatia in 2018. I think it's very easy to say, keep going out and playing, keep going out and playing once you're 1-0 up. But you know, we saw how Italy broke on Spain to score the opening goal against them. And if Italy do that 10, 12, 15, 20 minutes into the game, everyone says, what on earth are you playing at? Like, you're 1-0 up. We don't need to yeah, go Yeah, but the thing it. is, you want an open game against Italy yeah. because you you will succeed if the game is open. By closing the game, you set yourself up for either an edgy 1-0 win or you, you concede possession and you will mm. eventually tire and but, I mean, they England look completely cooked. Italy, yeah, but Italy, I mean, Italy dominated the game, but the goal was slightly scrappy you know it was a good save from Pickford someone missed a header it was a good save you I'm know, gonna say the post, but, but 
but if he didn't... hadn't scored, it was a penalty for Kalini. Kalini was knocked over by John Stones out of the, the path of the I, ball. I don't know if that would have been given. But I, but I don't I think mean... for all Italy's dominance, they didn't really... You know, Pickford had the one save from Chiesa that he kind of pushed away with one arm. But they were dominant. But I don't think England were rocking at any point. It, it was just disappointing because we know the attacking potential of that team and there's a way of right. setting that team up differently, which um, and maybe on another night. Yeah, maybe on another night he would do that. England had one shot on target in 120 minutes. That was Luke Shaw in the first minute. Mm. That's that's not enough. Yeah, I, th- I think Italy will have, with their fears over the ways that England could hurt them, the pace that England have, that they would have, that they would have been very relieved that that they were given the room to come back into the game. But they did grow back into the game and, and the changes that Mancini made obviously had a huge part of that. David, um, beyond the penalties, uh, Jordan Pickford has been one of the revelations of this tournament for England, yes? Yeah, in a revelation in a way that's like I said before, he's he's proved a lot of doubters wrong, and and tonight as well. You know, we, I know we're all calling for, especially me, calling for a, a more mature Jordan Pickford and, and a more relaxed. And you know, he was anything but tonight. Really, he was, if anything, he was a hundred percent himself, and and still managed to perform at a high level in a major final. And I think it's. Um, as well as as well as disappointing for the you know to lose the game the way that we did, yeah. I mean even the penalties you know the the Jorginho save is like is brilliant because people don't save his penalties, um, and even the uh, the Benucci one, you know he showed so much patience not to dive straight away and and going the right way and almost almost getting something on top of it, and it's. You know what? I'm I'm just really disappointed for him. I'm really disappointed for him because I know I've always stuck up for him a lot, and you know I'm a big fan of his. And it's you know he's coming for a lot of stick. Um, even in, even in the last couple of games, there's always something around. We're waiting for him to make a mistake. We're waiting for him to cost us the game. And in the end, you know whether it's ironic or not, he you know he was the one that, that gave us the best chance today. And it's it's disappointing as well because sometimes you know we're looking back over the game and what. Southgate could have done and what we could have changed differently. The, the fact is, what brought us to this final cost us in in the final, and I, and I think um, the cautious approach has been right up to this point. Right. But as soon as the th- you know I saw we playing three at the back, I just thought it was playing into their hands. And even though in the beginning, the first half, I kind of convinced myself that I'd, I'd got it all wrong because you know the two wing backs were the, provided the first goal. Um, mm. And we were comfortable. I wouldn't say we controlled the game the first off, but we were comfortable in defending that lead. And then, as you go at the second in the second half, then it's probably the time not to be, to to sit back and and be over cautious. You know, make those early substitutions because, of course, it's all hindsight. I know it's all hindsight, but it, well, it, looking forward for, then instead of backwards, do you not take the positives for this that it's a final and it's a final only lost on the the finest of margins. Almost, we started getting successful at a time when we weren't expecting more. We weren't expecting great things in the World Cup in in 2018, and you know that that helped. It was part of the uh, what helped carry us. And it wasn't until the final, really, I don't think that we you know, we started having any expectation whatsoever. Really, I think the positive is that England are clearly producing so many class players that it will they will be competitive for years to come. The negative or the missing bit is I don't think it would be enough 
having as your superpower to make everyone else look very ordinary. That was England's game, really. They made everyone look really pretty ordinary in this in this tournament, with the exception of Italy after minute 43 or something. I think you need a bit extra. I don't think it's going to be enough to be a tribute band to France and Portugal. I think you have to develop and play in a way that, that concentrates on your strengths rather than just on the oppositions. And I think that's the next step that Gareth and his team are yet to make. And I'm not 100% confident that this is just a linear progress and process that will definitely happen. I think that's quite a big jump that's needed. And one one final thought. England had the the real advantage of playing at home for key games. They had a real advantage of having Harry Kane, one of the best number nines in the, in the world, at a time when a lot of big teams have struggled to produce goal scorers. I'm not sure it's going to be the same in Qatar 15 months later with a Harry Kane that might not be quite at the same level again. So these are my my questions about this England team. Huh. Well, it's all a bit of a downer so far, isn't it, listener? But next up, to brighten the mood a little bit, jaunty James Horncastle joins us with a bit of Italian perspective on Sunday night's game. Hmm. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, minards 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. Teas and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. All right, time now to hear from James Horncastle on what turned out to be a historic night for the Azuri. James, we've done a fair amount of talking about the team that lost this evening. Uh, Give us a bit of perspective on the Italians as they claim their second European title. First of all... Terrible start for the Italians. What turned it around, do you think, for the Azzurri? I think Mancini reacted uh, very well at halftime. I think the changes that he made, uh, bringing on Cristante, for example, um, who I don't think a lot of people would have looked at and thought that's your go-to substitute. But certainly, I think Italy were losing the physical battle in midfield. Until that stage, I thought Rice had been absolutely magnificent. Uh, for the first 45 minutes. Uh, and also uh, Phillips uh, closing down Jorginho. I think even though 
Italy on paper had 3v2 in midfield. It didn't feel that way in the, in the first half. Cristante comes on, helps change it. Uh, and also they went with a false nine. You had Jorginho and Verratti dropping deeper. That allowed Emerson to get high. I thought Emerson, uh, again, a lot of people were saying, okay, Sinatoro's injured. It's not the same Italy. But in the second half, he was able to get forward. Uh, and that allowed the likes of Chiesa, the likes of Insigne, um, to really assert themselves in a way that they, I don't think, had in the first half. And uh, although those guys went off injured, and I think that's when the wind uh, kind of went out of Italy's sails after it really kind of picked up in the second half, the wind didn't blow in England's direction either. And it uh, it looked like it was going to uh, to a penalty shootout. But I think that the one thing looking back at the semi-final and the final, James, is that Italy have forced teams to change. Um, you know, against Spain, Spain decided to go with a false nine so that they had an extra man in midfield to come to try and rest control of the game, which they did from Jorginho, Verratti and Barella. You know, against uh, against Italy tonight, Southgate again went with a back five. And I think that's a massive compliment for Italy. Um, yeah. Again, when you when you look at some of the uh, not the criticism, but almost the praise at halftime of England, it was like they were out Italianing the Italians in terms of their uh, not this Catenaccio style, and that was said with respect by by some of the, the Italian colleagues. This is how you win tournaments. What England were doing in the first forty-five minutes, but I think what Italy showed after that stage is how football has changed in the last ten years is that you win games by being brave, um, by showing courage, by quali- with quality. And they, uh, I think that's, a, that's in the end what won out for them, or at least it, it turned the game back in their favour. And then Chiellini didn't have to do what he did to Jordi Alba, but he picked to go first. Um, and, you know, sort of, uh, ultimately it came down to Gigi Donnarumma, who has quietly had a very, very good tournament. Was the main change from Italy to basically build up with three at the back and have really, really high wide players? Um, Emerson, as he said, on the left. I'm not sure who they pushed up on the right. I don't think it was the it was the fullback. But effectively pinning back those wing backs and make England a five, and then control the space in front of them. Yeah, I thought Emerson in the second half in particular uh, was able to play much higher uh, than he had done in the first half. And that was either because Di Lorenzo was tucking in uh, next to Bonucci and Chiellini or it was because one of the one of the midfield players, I thought Verratti had a fantastic second half. Um, you know, Verratti was able to, to, to come short, um, you know, help build up uh, with, with Chiellini and Bonucci. And all of a sudden... Uh, yeah, Italy had possession in the first half, um, but this was more effective possession, I thought, uh, from then onwards. Um, and I think they just forced England to defend in a way that they were uncomfortable doing because, uh, again, in, in the first half, England reminded me of Italy against Spain in that uh, Spain had all of the ball, but whenever they tried to pass it into the penalty area, whenever they tried to be incisive in the penalty area, there was a Chiellini to block it. And I thought England did that well in the first half. They didn't really do that well um, from, from then onwards. I think the other thing we have to say is that um, when uh, Verratti, when Insigne went off, mm. 
again, Chiellini really stepped up. Chiellini was in the way of everything that Sterling tried to do. He was maybe lucky to be on the pitch after uh, after pulling uh, Saka's shirt. You could say the same with Jorginho with that challenge on uh, Jack Grealish. But they came through. They found a way. I don't think we've mentioned Chiellini enough, actually, uh, yet. Of all the things that kind of weren't supposed to happen in this final, him bombing around the pitch at 120 minutes gone at the age of whatever he is, was just extraordinary. And th- this is probably his last game for the Azuri. It, it was, it, was this his swan song for, for Italy? Perhaps. Uh, he was talking afterwards. I haven't caught what he said. But, I mean, he will sign a new contract in the next week or so with Juventus for another year. And we know that yeah, the, the World Cup in Qatar is a, is a Winter World Cup, what, starting next November. That's not too mm. far away if you're, if you're Giorgio. So, okay. I mean, Giorgio has been the star. I think Giorgio, really since he came back against uh, against Belgium, he's been the star of this team. Uh, and 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 he was he was highlighted as a weakness before the tournament. You know, he was slow, he was old, as you mentioned. And yet, I think his style of defending has really worked with them playing a high line often because he's that aggressive. Because he wants to win in the air. He wants to win the second ball and that keeps the pressure on. And if he, if they need to defend in the penalty area, he can do that. And they, they that find ways of compensating. Leg. Mm. That telescopic <laughs> yeah. leg on Saka. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there was that and also on, 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 on Sterling uh, uh, as well. I mean, yeah, he is someone who has spoken time and time again about the pure joy he feels in stopping a goal rather than scoring a goal. And you, you saw it again. I mean, even the pregame, I don't know if you saw um, that clip that UEFA put up of him going up to Harry Maguire and saying, I think outside of Italy, you know, he is a player who yeah, occasionally gets respect, but he's someone who is looked at as typical of certain style of defending. Uh, typical of a certain style of football as well, which I think many people think is out of date. Uh, and yet he has played in a very modern avant-garde looking Italy side, hasn't looked out of place at all and has been one of the stars of it. Mm. And uh, credit to Giorgio. Um, seeing him in tears tonight, lifting the trophy, um, knowing that European success has evaded Giorgio, even though he's been part of one of the most dominant club teams in Italian football history at Juventus. He's been to... Euro 2012 final, played off the park. He went off injured after 21 minutes against Spain in 2012. You then look at those Champions League finals uh, against uh, Neymar, uh, Messi, and Suarez, Barcelona, and then against Ronaldo, Benzema, and Bale against Real Madrid. I'm really pleased for him that tonight he finally got the big international trophy that I think his career deserves. And Italy, James, on this, well, what was July the 11th, 2021, the anniversary of the World Cup win back in 1982. And they even brought out the same jackets for Mancini and Cotaware that Andrea yeah. had back back in the day in, in, in Spain. A lovely touch. We, we've talked in the past on sister podcast, Golazzo, about what that did to Italian football after what have been difficult times for Italy. How do you see the impact of this win for Mancini's side and, and for the Italian game? Well, I think throughout watching the, the game, I thought it's an opportunity you have to take because you don't know if it's going to come again. Yeah, there are echoes if you're historically minded with when they last won the Euros in 1968, the only time they'd won the Euros up until now, in that that came two years after yeah, the most humiliating moment in, in the history of Italian football, which was to lose to Korea and Pak Duik at the World Cup in England. 
and you know they reacted to that by winning the Euros. They then reached the World Cup final in 1970. Okay, they lost to Brazil at the Azteca, but Italian football was back, or at least the the Nazionale was back. If you look at tonight in particular, we go back to November 2017 what was known as the apocalypse, losing to Sweden in a World Cup playoff, missing out on that competition where they'd made their legend, winning it four times for the first time in 60 years, being at such a low ebb to come back uh, in this fashion when no one really expected it. Under Mancini with a new generation of players, but also the guys who'd either missed out on, on World Cups and were in their prime, missed out on playing major tournaments or were old in the tooth like Chiellini and Bonucci sort of being able to to bounce back and win. And yeah, there was a great headline on Gazette uh, de la Sport a few weeks ago. I think it was maybe after the Belgium uh, win. And it was, we're great again. And, you know, maybe they're not great, but they are back. And I think European football, international football is a better place when there's a strong Italy. And this is certainly a strong Italy side, which has more to come in Nicolo Zaniolo, maybe Moise Ken. We'll have to see. As I said at the start of this answer, you have to take these opportunities when they come. And uh, and they did that tonight. They certainly did. All right, James, magnificent stuff. I think that was your editor pinging you for your your match report. So uh, you get on with that. And we'll, we'll speak soon, I hope. Lovely stuff. Thanks for all your uh, contributions throughout this uh, Euro campaign. Pleasure, guys. James Horncastle. Daniel, the, the kind of broader context, and we, we touched about where England are going and how linear the progression is, but in one sense, it, it, it has been a huge leap forward for England as well. When you, when you do the how it started, how it's going game with Gareth Southgate or with the England manager role, you know, how it started was Big Sam with a pint of wine in, in a pub and how it's going is, is, is the final of a, of a major tournament. Yeah, uh, and, and, and Rafa is right that there is no guarantee of anything. Um, Italy proves us that that you can go from, uh, you know, not making a World Cup to winning a tournament, and you can certainly do the vice versa as well. Um, but England have do not have the success. They have the reputation and the the, you know, maybe the confidence or the complacency or the arrogance or the isolationism or whatever you want to call it to think that they deserve to belong places. But they don't have the modern history for that. So to go from semi final to final is significant progress and they have also put in structures in place with you know with St George's Park with the England DNA model with um, the development of youngsters with the empowering of young players to go abroad if they don't feel they're getting minutes in the Premier League that all is positive you know 2017 with the success of the underage teams that all built to what we what we arrived in, in in 2021 and that isn't an accident but there's no guarantee of success but at least it does feel now that England have given themselves a, a if not a fighting chance then certainly a they're not tying their own hands behind their back anymore there's there's far fewer excuses now that will mean that there's far fewer excuses for Gareth Southgate so that if in the 2022 World Cup England again lose a knockout game because they're too cautious then that might well be the end of the line for him because we will have increased expectations and rightly increased expectations, not just because we've got big name players, but because we've got the potential there to be better. Mm. But that has to be treated as a positive thing. You know, there's no right. point getting scared or spooked by that. That has to be appreciated and, and enjoyed because for a heck of a long time, we weren't even that. Yeah. Yeah. So many positives about reaching this final. 
And so many positives as well about this team and so many inspiring things about this team beyond what they might do on the pitch, the way that they've stood up in the face of considerable public criticism at times for racial equality, the individual actions that the the players have been involved in on various fronts, whether it's feeding school kids or, or whatever. They'll donate their bonuses from their run to the final to NHS charities. Some would say that all England teams have been this way, that these guys just have better access to the, the kind of the social media so they can get their story out. But David, this is a pretty inspiring team, no? Yeah, it is. And like I was talking about looking for positives out of this tournament and, you know, and moving it forward. I actually think this is the best side that I've I've seen, England side that I've seen in my lifetime. Um both on and off the pitch and I know that you know the game's changed uh, somewhat in the, over the past 10 20 years but it's true and we can talk about auto PR spin and um but they're trying to be seen to do the right thing you know we've always held up footballers as role models yet we only ever really mention it when they do something bad or you know that they're not being a good role model but these truly are you know these are players and who are truly good role models. There are people that not only just, it's not just PR, they're actually living that life. And I think one, that's one of the big things about this tournament that you could see that it's been well managed PR wise, but also look at all the tournaments of the past and, you know, the the scandals we've had and th- through managers, through players, we've had none of that. And the, the relationship between the, the, the press and the, the players is much healthier than it used to be. This is the best team I've seen, you know, technically, tactically, everything. And of course, you know, nothing's perfect. You know, there's been a lot of things throughout the games, despite winning, that could be massively improved. But for me, looking at this England team as a team of players who come together every now and again, they've shown real cohesion and a lot of time a real understanding of how they want to play when we go to tournaments, you know, Lots of times going back before, and it's it's a flick of the coin sometimes about how we're going to play and how we're going to approach games, and it's been so much more measured, so much more controlled, and from personally for me, it's been the the best team to watch, regardless of that they've got to the final or not. All right, and in five hundred and five days' time, when the World Cup gets underway in Qatar, November twenty twenty two, are England going to be even better? Do you think? That that depends partly on the draw, which we should say has worked out pretty well for England in the last two tournaments. Uh, it depends on, you know, you'd like to think that a mid-season World Cup might help the squad, which is deeper. I think there are teams with better first 11s in this tournament. I think England certainly have one of, if not the best, squad depth, particularly in terms of young players who obviously in 18 months are going to be that little bit further down the line. Mm. To, to kind of reflect what I said before, there are fewer excuses. The question is whether this team and manager has the ability to deal with that pressure because, let's face it, they have been the beneficiaries of the of the fact that the expectations after 2016 and that Iceland debacle were so low that it was very easy to rebuild, that getting to a semi-final was seen as an incredible achievement because simply because of the, the underachievement that had gone before. I don't think that fits now. The, the problem with getting to a final and not winning it is that the only thing you can do better is winning the next tournament. And that's going to be a World Cup that's 
going to be incredibly difficult to do so because they won't play six of their seven games at Wembley and yet the pressures will be exactly the same as they were in this tournament. Right, they also might be dealing with a rejuvenated Germany, of course. We'll be out for revenge in 18 months' time. Rafa, what do you think? Are, are Germany going to be back by then? And do you think, you know, strictly in terms of whatever the draw is, in terms of the players who will feature, the youngsters having 18 months more experience, perhaps other names coming into the mix, having more more of a look in with, with Southgate or whoever the manager uh, in his thinking, what do you think? Well, England should be stronger in terms of the personnel because you have players who are just on the cusp of becoming fully formed stars. I'm thinking of a Jaden Sancho who, in my view, was criminally underused who I think is going to set the Premier League alight and is going to be an absolute superstar that no manager can leave out the starting eleven. There's the likes of Saka. There's, uh, I think Sterling has still got a lot of mileage in him. Luke Shaw, one of the star performers, only turned 26. So at 27, 28, he's going to be in his prime. So on that front, England should be should be even stronger. But there's one more hoodoo they have to overcome or one more sort of big, big step they need to make, having made so many steps under Gareth Southgate. And the next big step is actually beating a side that is better when it comes to playing with the ball. Because despite all the, the tragedies and the, you know, the unlucky exits and stuff over the last two or three decades... That's basically been the pattern. England beat teams of a similar quality or of lesser quality relatively, with one or two exceptions, Iceland, etc., with relatively relative consistency, but then lose against the one team that they meet or the first team that keeps the ball better than them. This happened again. This happened in 2018. It happened again tonight. If they can overcome that, then they've got a great chance. And I'm thinking that's when the likes of Jude Bellingham might play a huge role because he is that type of player. Um, even though I'm always reluctant to say, you know, if England only had one more player X, Y, Z, then it'd be different. But I think he will make a big difference. And then hopefully Gareth Southgate can find a slightly more proactive and more dominant uh, style on the ball, which I think you need if you want to decide those edgy games for you. Right. Also, maybe naturalise some more Brazilians like other countries do. That that helps always. That, that's the way. All right. Well, there I you go. I don't know about Germany, by the way. You asked me about Germany. I, I, yeah. I hope they should be better. Um, Germany would be better. France will definitely be better. I think that is the biggest problem for everyone who didn't win this Euro, that you basically had a bit of a lucky break that France self-destructed. It could happen again, but it's unlikely to happen again. And really, if France play anywhere near the potential, I think the Qatar World Cup, you might as well not play it. But then I said the same before the Euros and you saw what happened. But I Mm. think France are going to be a big problem for everyone. You'd also have the likes of Argentina and Brazil, who, as it happened, faced one another in the early hours of Sunday morning UK time in the Copa America final. We'll touch on that in a second or two, maybe get one or two last thoughts as well about Euro 2020. It's hard to... Let it go. But first, let's get some odds from Paddy Power. Not sure about what, but producer Ben's going to tell us. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Well, listeners, for the final time this tournament, I'm on the line with Jason Murphy from Paddy Power. Jason, no such luck for England at this tournament, but what are the odds, please, of them going one better and winning the World Cup come Qatar 2022? Yeah, um... Shame, shame the fall at the final hurdle, but 
in one way, it's great to get to the final. It's like going on holidays. Often the anticipation has been the best bet. And it's it's like the build up. It's been a great week, the build up to the final. And sure, you know, the last night of the holiday, you know, England didn't win it. It leaves a bit of a bad taste in the mouth. It might have dampened celebrations a little bit. But listen, it's still been a brilliant, brilliant summer. And what a holiday of football we've had. And potentially the World Cup, it's only 18 months away. We had England back in February. We had them at nine to one to win it. We've shortened them in to 15 to two to lift the World Cup. And that's just based on performance that they've seen. They've gotten to a final and they're a young team heading in the right direction. Whereas if you look at Italy, 14 to one, we had them in March. We've shortened them into eight to one on the back of winning the tournament. But if you look at the Italy players, Kalini, Benucci, will they be there in 18 months time? So we still have England a short price in Italy to triumph from Qatar. So let's see what happens. But it's still been a great tournament and it's been fantastic, really. It's been fantastic watch. Okay, and 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 Jason, while we've got you, give us the the odds, please, for the Ballon d'Or winner. Is it going to be Aaron Ramsdale? <laughs> we'll price up anything, but there's certain things we're like, nah, come on, now, have a word with yourself. But yeah, the Ballon d'Or has been a fascinating market because pre-tournament it was all about De Bruyne, it was Mbappe. But have a look what happened in South America. Messi was eight to one a couple of months ago to win the Ballon d'Or. He's now the favourite at even money, and. Every match bar the final, he's been Argentina's best player. Top goal scorer in the tournament, best player in the tournament. So Messi is the favourite. But the fact that Italy have triumphed, there's conversations around Jorginho. So Jorginho was 40-1 to to win it. He's now got the Champions League in his pocket. So we're going to revise the book and have a look at it. If you still think Harry Kane or Raheem Sterling, based on their performances, they've done really, really well. Kane was 25-1 to back in February. We shortened him into 10-1 when he got going in the group stages. Sterling, similar story, 40 to 1, Sean into 10 to 1, got going in the group stages. Sterling performances, when you heard the rumors about him going to Spurs, he really knuckled down, and that partly drove him on, we imagine. Harry Kane, is he still going to be at Spurs? We have it odds on that he will still be at Spurs, 4 to 7. We're thinking either Levy doesn't get the money that he wants, that Kane is still playing there when it comes on the 3rd of September when the window ends. Messi's phenomenal, like again. 30 goals in the league again this season. He's only played about 33 games. Like he's he's incredible. So whoever wins the Ballon d'Or is going to deserve it. It's narrative often drives it, and that's why Jorginho's in the conversation. But yeah, already looking forward to next season. Let's see where Harry Kane ends up. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Find a bookie who loves you right back as much as Gareth loves right backs. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Argentina beat Brazil, spoiler alert, 1-0 in the Copa America final on Saturday night stroke Sunday morning. That is Argentina's first title since the 1993 Copa America and the first major title of Lionel Messi's career in an Argentina shirt. First title as well of Lionel Scaloni's managerial career. Woo! Only goal of the game scored by Angel Di Maria. Emi Martinez took home the Golden Glove Award. Were you impressed with Emi Martinez? We were talking about his, his penalty psych-out against Colombia. David, did you catch that? I did, yeah. We did see a little bit of it in this, uh, in this tournament with uh, Unai Simon. Um, mm. And I, I thought we might have seen a little bit more in the, in the final. Like, it wasn't needed. But um, yeah, he's uh, for debut season, really, in the, in the Premier League, playing full season. Getting his debut for Argentina, win the Cup America, seven mm. penalties. It's not been bad year for him, is it? No, he gets the golden gloves. Neymar in tears at the final whistle. Anyway, there you go. There'll be another Copa America along shortly. Uh, before any of that, though, the new Premier League season is only 32 days away. Brentford v Arsenal will be getting things underway on Friday the 13th of August. <laughs> Daniel, I know you're long, pumped. You can't been hide a long it. Year, hasn't it? All right, well, let's not talk about that. Let's, let's finish off then with, give us, if you will, your most treasured memory that you're going to take through this month of, of holiday almost before the next season finally rolls around. What, what would you take with, with you from Euro 2020, Daniel? My favourite moment by a mile, and it was a series of moments, was um, the final two minutes of England versus Denmark. I know Denmark had 10 men. I know Denmark was shattered, but... I have never seen England get to a final before and I assume when it came it would come brought with horrible nerves that lasted until after the final whistle and actually we've really got to enjoy those last three minutes when England passed the ball round like a very non-English looking side. Um, ultimate disappointment but that was joyous. Mm, David, what about for you? Yeah, mine's similar to that. It's the fact that we have got a side now who after 30 years or however many years of the Premier League and the and the continental influence of the year on us all, that we're actually producing players like them, that play together like them. And um, I'm as disappointed, I'm, I know I'm not the most joyous at times, like, but I, I, and I'm really disappointed, but I am really, really sort of hopeful for, for the future. And I still think we've got a long way to go. You know, when I see us playing against uh, Germany, and, uh, and and even Italy tonight, I still look at us and think, yeah, we, we've still got a long way to go, but we're definitely going the right direction. Magnificent. Rafa, what will you be storing in your happy place? Uh, well, nothing to do with Germany, really. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Denmark's win over Russia because it kind of crystallised everything that was good about this Euro. They had, you know, you had the energy from the crowd in Copenhagen, you had the backstory of Christian Eriksen. You had a sort of a seesaw moment because the other game, there were goals going in. It felt like football was back and that we were sort of back with a fully formed, full flavour, full fat thing with all the misgivings that you still have and thinking, is this really a good idea of what's happening right now? It's all very bittersweet and slightly worrisome. 
at the same time, we just thought, finally, thank you so much. You know, we've been missing that so long and hopefully we'll see more of that. Mm. Indeed. Well, yeah, fingers crossed there aren't massive repercussions for having huge numbers of people clustered together down Wembley Way and the Environs. Uh, but uh, that is how it finishes Euro 2020. Italy European champions and Totally Football Show heads off air until, well, early August, I think, for a week or two, unless something really dramatic happens like that rumoured Lionel Messi to Burnley transfer or any of those kind of stories. We'll, we'll dash back and uh, hastily knock up a pod to cover it. But uh, uh, for now, it's uh, thanks to everyone who participated in our Euro Roundups uh, this evening to David, to Carl, and James earlier on from Wembley, to Rafa and to Daniel, and of course, producer Charlie. And perhaps above all, you, listener, uh, thanks for being with us today. I know it can't have been easy, it never is, but you were there for us. Grand. I hope you enjoy the break. We'll see you in a month from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Keep up to date with everything Totally at The Totally Show on Twitter and find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.